0: Hi, this is John Tejada from Los Angeles. Palette Recordings here on the Decisive Podcast. I've got a special vinyl mix for you featuring my own productions, some lesser-known works and some known works, some fun collaborations, and uh, some rare tracks all off vinyl. Hope you dig it.
1: cool cool welcome back everybody to another decisive podcast series this is the creative artist series episode number 80 yes sir and it is thursday july 28th i am your host roberto q ingram i am super excited of course as i have one of the artists that is a clear eye opener in the electronic music business for so many years and uh He's West Coast, baby, West Coast, John Tejada, and he is extremely talented. He has released on countless labels and has countless collaboratives and just he's done his job over the years, 28 plus years. He's a teacher at Cal Arts University for music. And uh, yeah, we're going to get to know the scoop and what makes this man tick and how he continues to keep himself relevant over the years. I won't talk very long because our conversation, our interview is very lengthy, and I hope you will stick around. If you want to listen to the podcast in its entirety on a regular basis, make sure you go to all the decisive series, socials, Instagram, SoundCloud, facebook and youtube and mixcloud wherever you find your podcast please do so and you can reach out to me on twitter so without further ado let's get on with it the decisive creative artist series episode 80 with my guest the phenomenal the incredible john teada Mr. John Tejada. It's uh, great to have you on the program today. I'm really, really excited. Hopefully you're healthy and I have a lot of things I want to ask you about because it's been a while. Um, I guess we've known each other for quite a long time. It's just been uh, a really long time since that, I, I guess.
0: Yep. I think we saw you in, the, we saw you in Munich uh, once or twice, but it has been a minute. Where
1: were you playing, actually? It
0: was a small, like, two-day multi-room thing, I think. It was really nice to hear you. Here you play again how's the
1: scene over there in la yeah
0: it's strong now i mean i feel like uh it took a while for the west coast to catch up but now with social media and all the sites and everything you know i feel like you get you get these international lineups and all around the world now they're not just they're not just uh exclusive to the cities where the scene is strong so so yeah there's there's. Tons of events. I, I would say I know about like five percent of the events and promoters. Now there's so much stuff going on. And when did it start to pick up? I think it was. Um, it's kind of closer to the late 2000s, I think, uh, or even at least for you know the kind. I think the kind of stuff that we're involved in, kind of like 2010. That's when I think. Yeah, again with social media and events and ticketing and and stuff. Um, I think that's when that really started coming together. I think before that it was all a little more um on the local side of things are you playing a lot in l.a uh it kind of comes and goes um so i'll do some shows with with the reggie project which we'll talk about and um and my myself and um yeah it just kind of comes and goes so sometimes there'll be a string of some things and then sometimes there won't be anything for a while
1: yeah yeah i think um what i thought it would be nice instead of making this quite a interview i wanted to just have a conversation about life struggles and in the business yeah. the business the tech some tech talk stuff and how you have overcome adversity for so long i mean you've been in the business for how long now
0: well i mean it depends when that actually started i mean trying to figure out how to put midi keyboards together and record music that was about ni- uh, summer of 91 i think um releasing my first proper thing even though i didn't done some stuff before that um was around 94 and i would say like yeah first live gig was also in 94 so yeah about 20 i, I would i would kind of give 94 the start and then the real proper start where like i was i was able to have um i was able to have work in music but it was it was a lot of things that i was hoping to one day not do anymore and that was kind of like the short-term goal so then i feel like around 2000 is when i was able to really full-time switch to production and touring and stuff so i have to i have to ask this correct me if i'm wrong
1: but um shortly after i met lynn from a green galactica when she started her agency i think it was around that time too as well right
0: mid-90s so we met you about mid-90s a club event she organized. I was DJing yeah.
1: regularly. Called Blowfish, wasn't
0: it? Oh, I mean, there were some second. There was other events. The main event was Public Space for quite a while, and then there were some other nights. One was at the Knitting Factory. One was at different spaces. I don't remember that event. Blowfish was before she
1: started doing all these other ones. Okay. I, it, yeah, it was. It was strange, and then all of a sudden she started to take off. That was really nice, and all the DJs were coming to her facility all the time. I remember that. And then well, there was Greenhouse Record Pool. That's what the, that's what it was, the record pool. And ah, remember the good old days of
0: record pool? Yeah, it kind of exists still with all this digital promo. But um, yeah, that was that was a that was a good time. And not vinyl
1: though,
0: right? Right. Yeah, it's pretty rare now if, if somebody's if someone sends you a little package. I mean, I'd say like that's a great way for artists to if you want to reach out to somebody, you know, send them a physical item, whether it's like a USB stick or a cassette or a, a shirt you know that that really helps you stick out from the crowd cuz i mean everybody's getting hundreds of emails of somebody that like wants you to check something out so i think like yeah still still physical items are make a big impact and you know last night we went to a, a friend's show and she had made tons of one of a i mean i don't know how much time she spent but every merch item was one of a kind handmade you know it was like amazing so like that's still really special and yeah so i think even though we're in this digital era there's still a lot to be said for 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 making something by hand and giving that to someone okay we've been through the
1: cycle i mean it's like too much of anything is too much right it's like <laughs> you get you get so digitally over your you, you get so digitally overwhelmed that your hard drive is full. <laughs> you got to go out and buy more hard drives. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's still not enough space because the consumption, right? And not the, the value of playing the s- same stuff that worked instead of uh, uh, collecting something that comes in and goes away and just, you know, trying to keep yourself relevant. Um, but uh think vinyl, and just like hardware, keeps coming
0: back, <laughs> keep, takes a licking and keep on ticking somehow. Yeah, I mean, it's a a collectible, you know, I always look at it like comic books or something, like I assume the digital, I don't know that much about it, but I assume digital, you know, iPads and everything, but I think there's still, there's still a lot to be said for going and grabbing that new copy. So I think it's the same with music, it just, it keeps coming back because, and now with hi-fi enthusiasts, CDs are coming back. Because the streaming thing and, you know, to if you've got a real nice hi-fi deck, you can play 16-bit audio and, you know, it kind of gives it a purpose, right? You're pulling it out, put it in the player, you're going to listen to it. You don't have that, like, um, possibility just to skip around to a million things in one minute. So I think it's all about just kind of like committing to a purpose and that has a lot to do with it
1: it's funny a friend of mine here in munich was a record store we used to go to it's, it used to be the place for us to hang out the owner of the of the store no longer owns the store but he owns now also a cd and dvd processing shop and he and he can't he can't even get a holiday well wow. a lot of artists uh you know cds and dvds made and uh presenting them again i mean least and they're uh like you said the, the product in hand and something physical is a uh, back again as well
0: so yeah i mean it's like if my ru- if my router goes down i can still play a cd you know <laughs> so um it does happen so i was researching
1: where you from it's kind of funny that i'm getting some mixed information here misleading information so let's say floating around <laughs> is it is it vienna la uh yeah. australia <laughs> australia
0: <laughs> vienna austria um it was this great shirt we got there that said, uh, it's like Austria, no kangaroos, so <laughs> it's easy to mix up. But yeah, I was in Vienna. I was born there and I lived there till I was eight. And my mother's from L.A., so we came, I came back with her when I was back in 82. Was that a major change for you? I mean, I was pretty young, so like it, it was and it wasn't. I suppose like learning the language could have been, but I was so young that I picked it up really, really quick. The only thing was I just about as quick, pretty much forgot German. Which was slightly annoying for all the trips I took, you know, for, for music and not being able to speak like my native language. Um, the one thing I liked about, um, yeah, I just recently saw some Vienna videos and was like, oh man, you know, like it kind of, somebody was just walking down the street in a park and it, it like resonated with me in a weird way, like that it, it was specific to those images, even if I never walked that park, you know, like it, it was weird. But the one thing that immediately struck me, and this has to do with music, when um, when we got to the States, so this was back in 82, where, um, you know, you had, like, new wave mods and punks, and then you had, like, b-boys. And, and I remember, like, seeing a couple dudes, and it was like, oh, they're going to fight. And it's like, oh, no, they're going to dance against each other. Like, I just thought that was so crazy. And, and what was cool about the States back then was... um everybody really defined themselves with what they were into like all those looks right whether it was like heavy metal heshers or new wave or um hip-hop and i felt like at the time you didn't have that in europe i think maybe in a way you still kind of don't you know but it was just like very like very strong uniform of identity here and i kind of like even from that age i kind of dipped my toe into all of it like i was very interested in like you know it was just like different tribes it was like so so interesting to me and i found pretty much all the music interesting as well
1: that's true i i was right there in the middle of them the dance culture man i was dancing on soul train break dancing and we oh, were wow. oh yeah we i mean uh, orange county orange county was some of the top dancers came from orange county dancing uh, and made careers out for themselves uh, uh uh marvin columbus uh we had uh, Cooley Jackson and uh, Alpha Anderson made uh, got jobs with uh, Michael Jackson and
0: yeah. I heard recently, I think I forgot his real name. Maybe you already mentioned him. Pop and Taco just Pop and Taco. just passed away. And then um I'm sorry um, what's the name of the dude that played Turbo. He I think he was also teaching Michael stuff. So yeah, a lot of these big artists were getting. I mean, still like a lot of the the guys on the streets coming up with the new stuff. The, the big artists tap into it and bring it to the mainstream but yeah la had a lot to do with a lot of stuff so at the time yeah it was you know there was no internet or anything but I, I would you would see it around or and then we had k-day and uh, which i'm sure you remember
1: <laughs> so, yes, they, that's like, right.
0: so they like so they like i feel like for me it was like when people talk about mojo in detroit like k-day was different but and it's it's just similar importance uh, you know for for me as like a young person and the mix of everything they would play. I think that was a thing back then too, like and with earlier eighties dance music culture like in the UK as well, as well as here, um you would get this mix of different uh what we say different subgenres, but it was all it all connected, right? Where now I think it's really like micro genre specific and it's a little boring. Exactly. I mean we we were music from the street was
1: was it uh and we were right in the center of it all that was amazing you know what i wanted to do i wanted to find out a little bit more about your uh musical background
0: Sure.
1: i guess back in 1982 um i guess your parents both were classical trained uh professional musicians uh right how did this yep. t- how did this type of lifestyle uh lifestyle influence you
0: well the biggest influence I realized much later that it had was um I have a lot of friends who are obviously who are artists in different ways and a lot of them have parents that kind of would tell them to turn it down or get a real job and this and that. So my my first impressions were quite different. Not only were they supportive, which was great, but all I kind of remember is like every day um you practice your instrument, you know, whether that's your voice or you're playing an instrument. So it was like Okay, this is just life like every day you practice and you make music. So that was kind of my reality as far as back as I could remember. And then it took years to realize like, oh, this wasn't everyone's reality. You know, you, feel, you didn't feel that it's no pressure at all. You it was just a way of life, normal thing, easy. To, I was I'm happy to do it uh, it's like reading a book or doing your homework. Well. I mean, I was kind of like, I was probably went through a lot of piano lessons I did, I would rather be out playing soccer or something, you know, but, so yeah, I wasn't like, I wasn't thinking about music as a career back then or anything, but that it was, it was a musical household, so it had a lot to, I think it made, um, it made the possibility of working in music, even before I realized what that kind of meant, it made that seem real, that Mm. seem real, you know?
1: Interesting. Um, do you remember your first teachings or where you were uh, with, the, with the drums? Okay, piano first and then drums. Yeah, piano right?
0: first for my dad, and then I had a, a proper teacher there in Austria. But then when we came to the States, um, I think my mom was just kind of like, oh, you know, please just let him fit in, <laughs> let him be normal, you know? So I, she, I was like, I still have to play piano. And she was like, No, like whatever you want so um my cousin was living with us at the time and he had a he had a drum set and i would play along to like led zeppelin 4 when he wasn't around because i'd see him play the drums and i was like i want to do that so i don't know if he wanted me playing his kid or not so when he wasn't around i would play along and i kind of like was figuring out like black sabbath and led zeppelin type of stuff and playing along to the radio um just all this stuff in you know say it was drums but then pretty shortly after i was uh, as i was beating a lot more you know i got i heard this glimpse of kind of like arthur baker productions and run dmc and early def jam and teal rock and nucleus and i was just like this is some you know future of and then uh i was like so first even before like learning how to make the music didn't seem possible but um, the way they were mixing the music together, I was really interested in that. So I went to a, a school, one of these like kind of like K through twelve things. So I was like in fifth grade, but there were like seniors there who were DJs and stuff who like knew about all this stuff. So I, I just immediately gravitated to them and they I think they got a kick out of me and they they entertained my interest and they kind of showed me some stuff and Show me where to get music or tapes and and like what equipment was used. Cause again, you know, pre-internet. Like if you if you wanted to learn something, you had to go to the library and check out a book. Like it was very different. So you had to yeah, I think still today, uh, meeting somebody and getting that knowledge is still the most useful. But yeah, so I, I wanted to learn how to DJ and um I was able to you know, over the course of a year get some you know really cheap realistic decks and that realistic mixer I think everybody started with at least of my age um and uh yeah i would just tape mixes because kato was great like every day at five o'clock they had the traffic jam so somebody like aladdin or M walk or joe cooley would be like cutting it up and um and then on saturdays they had the the mixmaster show or something from like 11 8 to 11 or something like that um and i would just like i was buying vinyl at a young age and uh i was just emulating it i wanted to figure it out and then so that all kind of led to hip-hop production and and a a lot of that which um only a few people know about me like local old friends but it was you know i was just kind of figuring out the tech basically but then once i started hearing the music really kind of evolved like early 90s because like even on k-day you'd get like little hints of chicago music and detroit music but it wasn't so clear where it was all coming from but it was like there were different types of electronic music that again like fit together uh, in a way that they don't now, for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, all of a sudden it was like, a lot of the sounds were quite similar, right? Like these rolling boxes that people still covet and still want. I mean, that was used in hip-hop production, house, techno, uh, pop, new wave. So it was the same set of sounds, but the way, the way people in Chicago and Detroit, and then soon after, the UK where it exploded the way they were using those sounds that was really interesting so around like around like uh yeah 1990 it was like could I actually like figure out how to do something like this you know and then um meeting Arian Lavista who I've been working with since then we we like again you know we didn't know anybody so we we had little bits of gear each and we we just tried to figure it out and we just made like tons of tunes all the time so, so you started DJing when then? I started, I said my first little cutting and scratching um, was like seventh grade. So I was either 12 or 13. And for some reason, this is a, um, for some reason, I guess I was so into it that, um, the principal at my school on the side, side hustle, was an aerobics instructor and needed like these mixtapes.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember those days.
0: So she needed these mixtapes and found out like I was a DJ and somehow. Yeah, so I was my first my first bit of money I got, I was selling her tapes for her classes. So I don't think it was that year, but I think it was the following year where they started letting me like DJ the school dances and stuff. So those were like my first gigs and I had like a little sound system and. So yeah, like I was I was emulating scratches stuff that, you know, that these guys were doing like yeah, 12 and 13 and double copies of records and at 12 13,
1: how were you supplying yourself money to go out and buy a record? Okay. Well,
0: 12 inches is worth 3.99, you know. So, you know, whether I got some allowance or whatever, like it all just went straight to, to buying records. First record you know it's a little bit fuzzy it was it was a batch so it was like it was real roxanne um mel step off <laughs> world class record from surgery and there was one more in that batch um you'd, you'd think i would remember this uh mine might have been run dmc or something i don't know yeah, I mean, the Run DMC album, that was like, I, I still, that I got on cassette, so I didn't, I didn't have records yet. But I remember hearing that album, and especially like coming from the rock drumming, you know, like when I heard Rockbox. Yeah, yeah. That was, I think, as powerful as like when people mention um, or reference Walk This Way, their cover, you know, collaboration, which like really broke hip hop open to the mainstream. But for the underground, I think at the time, like Rockbox was like, that, that really kind of gravitated my ear towards like, Oh, this is this is rocking, but this is like way more exciting, you know. And then like hearing like Sucker MCs and stuff. Like even like this week, I'm like on the move. I'm borrowing a DMX so I can do some, you know, Sucker MC type stuff. So I mean, these influences still very much stick with me. So you went West Coast. You was New York. Stop. Yeah, I mean, uh, Arthur Baker, Marley Marl, Larry Smith, who was doing the Run DMC and Houdini stuff. Like that was and and the Nucleus guys. Like that was like. I think, yeah, my probably my biggest influence, that along with the Art of Noise guys who were, yeah, so all that and Kraftwerk, but Kraftwerk was an interesting one, because, I mean, now, like, it's super cool to be in the Kraftwerk, but, like, when I was, like, 10, 11 years old, I had, like, the Computer World cassette, and, like, it was, like, dudes singing German, and, like, I wasn't playing it for my friends, you know, like, they were, like, what, what is this, you know, and now it's, like, oh, yeah, this is the greatest record ever, so. <laughs> what was your favorite shop? I mean, this
1: was Los Angeles, and yeah. I think at this time we had over a dozen
0: of shops. Well, I was young, I couldn't go all around the city, so we had a local um, Tower Records in, in Tower. Panama City, which, like, they were very much connected with K Day, so the, the, the buyers would have all the stuff that I was hearing. Because I think the sort of mecca for that sound was like around the like uh was it rhodium uh swap meet and and down more towards that area which was pretty far from me i mean there was no getting down there um and then there were a couple other stores but then pretty soon after i'm sure you remember in la but there was it was a different location there were two Doc Martin had some stores he was working. Uh. Oh, but this is way before, so like there was DMC, but it was in a different location. Right, right, right. And then there was another place called Cut Above, which was down the street, and they were very more like high energy base. But they would they would have a lot of like they have a lot of, like uh, electro stuff and and uh, so so that the more the K Day stuff I was getting from like Tower Records, they would have like Music Plus and. <laughs> and um, some other shops you know but then for the for the more like for the imports i would say that was like the the early melrose scene but again that was like east melrose that wasn't like where they ended up um in the 90s this was like mid mid late 80s mid 80s yeah do you remember at all having like a belt drive turntable it wasn't belt drive i know everybody started with belts but i had these realistics they weren't belt, which probably would have made life easier but i had these like I don't even know you call them, but they basically they they would drag really heavy. So I'd have to, like, learn to cut holding the record on the outside because you couldn't put your hand on it because it would be like it would come back like. So uh, it was so it was kind of cool because, like, I feel like those DJs that started on some like really difficult decks, like when you got twelve hundreds, you were like instantly 20 times better, you know, because like they didn't skip. You could put your hand on them like so yeah that getting 12s was like everybody's goal and then when you got them it was like the neighborhood like celebrated you know <laughs> like it's like man he got 12s
1: oh my god would you say that any of your teachings in school or learning any instrument has influenced you as a dj or as a musician do you still do you find this these stages of where you were with your parents to the piano to the drums Did you apply any of those skills
0: to your music making i feel like at the time i wouldn't have made that connection but but you know when i was in it and years later like i would realize like the theory and just things that come natural to me like if i have a melody in my head i can pretty much get it out of my head and then same with the drums like a rhythm it's quite easy for me to get it down and i know it's not that easy for everyone so i think even though I didn't realize it for a long time, like I did have these things that are kind of inherently natural to my workflow that I could like pretty much attribute to those like early years and, you know, uh, years of years of doing something that at the time, maybe I thought I didn't really, didn't have that much interest in maybe because I just, you know, wanted to play. But um, but yeah, I realized like that definitely got soaked in. So that, that helped me out a lot.
1: Is there something interesting and motivating about this, about an, an instrument or piece of gear that makes you want to learn more about it, more or less?
0: Go in, Or you want to just go in and uh, get inspiration from it? Depends what it is. I mean, some some stuff still seems a bit intimidating. I think it's all about like the interface and it just kind of connecting with you and feeling like, oh, yeah, like I really want to become one with this machine you know um and that's all kind of like personal stuff i still kind of prefer maybe it's just from the the era year that i started acquiring stuff but i'll I'll stick to kind of simpler simpler stuff for me it's all about also like especially playing live like if you're in a if you're in a venue that's like pushing a lot of sound and like your gear on the table might actually be moving across the table and it's loud and you're nervous or whatever that that equipment you basically have to be able to operate it and feel creative and have fun like with your eyes closed like you may not even be able to see the parameters because of the lights or lack of lights so for me like even in the studio i like to be able to like reach for stuff that like i basically don't even have to look at it yeah i can like feel creative But if it's like comes down to like super menu diving or like making all these connections in a menu, it's like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I like I'd I'd prefer to have that just like in the box because that that's easier to do complex stuff than on a little screen. To to go from this instrument
1: to this gear to having your own studio, was this a challenge financially? Was it Uh, Just a normal transition to uh, because you were in being in L.A. You're right in the middle of everything, right? Entertainment wise,
0: I guess. But it seemed like the stuff, especially then the stuff that me and Arian were into, like nobody listened to like we would have. Yeah, I would have like little music classes just to brush up on some stuff. Nobody had ever heard any of this stuff that now, of course, is like everybody knows about. So it was it was very like isolating time. It was just like us like getting these records that came from far away and wanting to figure out how to do it, but nobody nobody really knew them. Um, You have been on like
1: (laughs) countless labels and you've done so much. I was reading back and I was looking back and there's over a hundred Different label, uh, should I say, labels or collaborations? And um, did you ever dream? Did you did you have that goal and mindset to release on hundred labels? <laughs> uh, it, your work ethic must be perfect. Tell me that journey and why is making music is so important to you. And and give me the dirt, meaning that was it tough? Did you work your ass off? Did you have to really
0: really sacrifice a lot to to get to where you are um i think you asked me about the gear and if i'll start with the gear so i mean yeah that was gear uh, early 90s stuff was expensive and you it was very limiting stuff too so it took a while to save and get little tiny pieces of gear so that was great about meeting someone else who had uh, some stuff we could like put it together um but again i mean you hear about it a lot these days but limitations really help kind of zone you in on like what's important and what you want to do when it comes to like all the releases and stuff I mean at first it was like a more of a local goal like we we pressed up a record we just wanted to be in the local shops right there wasn't even like this thought and even here I heard recently like dr. Dre was saying the same thing like they just wanted to sell their music in their neighborhood like I never imagined um going global with anything or anybody that i listen to listening to my music like even that still shocks me when you know recently like humanoid from future sound london hit me up for a remix and i was like what you know like that's not supposed to happen or orbital you know like come on man like that those those two artists are a big part of the reason why i make music so that's great but um it's just one step at a time I I think I don't know I feel like when I'm in it I was talking about this last night like when I'm in it I'm just like in the zone and I'm not thinking outside of just just myself or the person I'm working with and it's like way like way looking back years like when I when I would have like some success especially like closer to where you're at and if I got to like do a a big event or something, I literally like just thought it was an accident. Somebody like canceled, you know, because I would still be in L.A. playing to like three people. So I was like, oh, this is cool that I accidentally got this opportunity. I'm going to I'm going to make the best of it, you know, or even like some records like really resonating. I don't know. It was just kind of like it's kind of like out of body and, you know, possibly a bit. I don't know. It's like a weird mix of things because uh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it properly, but but yeah, I mean, to your your question of of kind of like the hu- the hustle and the grind, and I would say it's a lot of things are quite similar. Like, and that's probably a good thing. But I'll, I'll I might be on to like something new, and it, it feels like starting over from scratch. There'll be there'll be some yeah. You know, it, it'll be really tough to get anybody to want to invest in it or work with it. Right. Or you still like getting no responses from emails. Like I feel like it never stops. There's never like this level, at least for me, where it's like <laughs> everybody's interested in what I got and like everybody's willing to talk about it. It's still like every time something new happens, it's like starting from scratch. And like it's like uh, I feel like I have to like kind of prove myself over and over and over again, which makes sense because yeah i mean if it's if it's worth doing if it's good then it'll work out and uh if it's not that strong then yeah maybe it doesn't need to get out of the studio so yeah but it, it's 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 interesting because especially like i know we'll talk about it later we're working with students like it's tough to like explain that like i i'll hear about them getting really discouraged about things and then we kind of i'll remind them like look like Sometimes you can do a promo promo mail out to like thousand different writers and tastemakers and if you get one or two responses like that's a that's a success, you know, so like that's really the ratio and they're kind of like just expecting everybody to tell them it's great. And and this that's just the way the world is like the return ratio is very, very small and you just have to like you have to let people know what you're doing and and do your best and and make it good and. You know, be respectful with people and just all this stuff and it's just this constant grind like it never stops i mean of course unless you get the lottery ticket and you you make it mega you know, mega hit and then of course you can coast off that for a very long time but for just the the average producer yeah it's like people people forget there'll be a whole new wave of interesting artists and just because you did something cool 15 years ago doesn't mean anybody cares anymore you know like some of the producers might care and hold you in high regard but people just want to hear new exciting music they don't care about this stuff that happened you know two decades ago or whatever three decades ago so yeah of course it's an important part of history but as an artist as somebody who needs to like pay the bills like it's it's a constant grind like it never it never stops so so yeah i always like to think of it like what what job do you
1: have that it's not a you know you have to pay the bills, so you have to c- c- continue to work right and as time goes on things change you have to relearn something
0: <laughs> and you have to adapt to to new times now yeah that's the thing everything everything changes and you know the marketing and distributors and record shops going away and uh but you know what are you gonna do like you're gonna have to kind of figure it out keep going You've been able to do that for uh, how
1: long now? How long it's been?
0: Twenty-two. Oh, releasing music. I guess it's, it's, we're about twenty-eight years into releasing vinyl and and uh, stuff like that. And in your mind, do you feel like each one
1: of those releases that you tried to be better, or you just just was just? Did you feel like that you had to? Um, push yourself regardless of how many was sold did you ever feel like okay I want to make this uh or were you releasing because you had a story to tell or were you releasing that you because you wanted to be more consistent I mean you that's a lot of music you put out so I'm trying to get at I'm trying to get at um uh how and why you push yourself and was the sales did you did anybody give you the confidence to go back in the studio and just be the best you can be each time or uh, was it was it labels that made you feel good about yourself
0: yeah um let's see where to start i mean it it definitely helps to work with an interested supportive party but even some of them like once you kind of something doesn't meet expectations they become a little less interested and then you're back in this in the boat of like okay i gotta prove myself again with the next one but um Mostly it was just, uh, I like to create the stuff. I just kind of have to do it and I can kind of, it, when it's, when it feels like joy, when it feels like interesting and something like clicked, um, then yeah, that'll be something that I want to, want to put out. And then, um, I think another aspect is collaboration. So, I mean, that can be like with a label or someone that's kind of like, a uh, has like a, a vision for something they want to do or something special but um, I've done a lot of collaborations as well and those are just kind of more about having a good collaboration and trusting the other person just seeing what comes out. So um, those are just kind of, yeah, let's see what happens you know' they're just they're just fun to make um, For my own stuff, I don't know it just kind of has to it just has to feel good and be interesting to me and then it depends whether it's like functional or not like recently i hadn't done this in a while but um with gigs coming back having tunes to play out which a lot of times i'm not super concerned with but sometimes that can be a fun a fun parameter to put my mindset in and to to kind of uh create excitement in that atmosphere which is another whole Kind of dimension to to music and electronic or any kind of dance music is if you're trying to make somebody feel uh joy or energy or get get something exciting happening with with a loud pa pushing pushing sound it's a whole different dimension so sometimes that'll be in my head and sometimes it won't like i feel like the last two full links i made I almost call them like museum techno they're like very micro edited and soundscapey you know but that's not really something that'll work in a peak time club environment so i feel like i've got like multiple hats that i trade depending on like my end goal and what i want to do with the with the music
1: the would you consider your music diverse
0: yeah i would think so i i think there's um I could probably point out a few projects you may have never heard of you know so there's i think there's a big spectrum of everything from down tempo stuff there was kind of an indie band where i played like guitars and drums um there's a few drum and bass releases a lot of people don't know about you know and then dance stuff early hip-hop stuff a lot of people don't know about so um i think that that would be diverse, I, I guess. But to me, it's all like it's electronic dance music or I guess some stuff is more sit electronic sitting music. But. But yeah, with that diversity, would you consider do you think that it's necessary to have an aliases? Well, I, it depends. I mean, you could take someone example like someone like well, like someone like Aphex Twin, like he does have aliases, but you kind of never know what you're gonna get i mean like he he's one of the people who won the golden ticket right but um and people anticipate his his music you know like rabidly so um but i think early on a lot of artists that had a lot of aliases was because the labels wanted something exclusive like when i was doing my thing in the early 90s and started to work with european labels i, I would hear a lot about that because and it makes sense if they're gonna invest money it, uh, you know to your example of me releasing a lot of music that sometimes was something I didn't realize that like that would kind of piss somebody else off because they're investing in me and then like I didn't tell them like oh I got a record next month on this label so the aliases kind of makes sense for that um, and obviously on a bigger market with you know exclusivity and bigger money uh, swapping hands but um, I kind of I'm more on the side of I'll I'll do some music and it might fall into a different subgenre and whatever you know.
1: I'm glad you explained that to me on in that sense because that's the first time I heard it like that. Some uh, producers and uh, DJs and uh, well-known uh, producers uh, call it uh, because I'm doing this type of sound or I'm doing that type of sound. There has to be a different name, and the way you just described it to me made absolutely way more sense because as far as i was concerned it's me and when they finally realize who the alias is it's going to come back to your face they're going to see your face anyway so
0: (laughs) yeah and it does make sense to have it does make sense to have aliases for different subgenres. i just never yeah i I, I was more kind of to your point like and figure out it's you anyway but sometimes it's cool if there's a whole concept with it a whole like imagery then you, you might want to like essentially have an alter ego you know which can be fun it could be uh-huh. fun but then the surprise is over once they figure out what it is. <laughs> Like,
1: but I think oh some, it's you
0: <laughs> yeah i mean there's some alter egos like some some groups where there's side projects or solo projects like they they a lot most times they don't resonate as much as the thing because like i think like the thing has so much you know, it might be like art direction and the way they do their shows and then like the other projects aren't really in line with that. So it's like the other the other aliases never really. I don't know. I think it's case by case, but I think there's a lot of different reasons why. Why that goes on, I guess if your output is so high and your demand is so
1: high, I guess. That could be OK, but uh, I wouldn't see Justin Timberlake or anybody else see <laughs> seeing right. when somebody
0: else changed their name or you never know we just might not know about it you know like i still as much music as i put out i still have little aliases here and there that are fun to use there, yeah even ones that yeah like to justin timberlake's point there's there might be one or two that nobody knows about which is fun to do you know you just put something out anonymously and like see if anybody cares or not so i'm gonna check in to this your
1: uh, your DJ career again. Let's just real quick. Can you name off the top of your head, like your like, I would say your most inspiring gig? Was it in mm-hmm. Europe or was it in America? I mean, something mm-hmm. that something that just kind of like really
0: launched you. See, I never have. Like I was saying, when I look back on it, it always. It's like, uh, it's hard to put that together, like to be part of something that I thought was important for other people. Important for you? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. But I'm saying like, it's tough for me to to put all together. I mean, like one thing would be like, um, being part of Fabric and being asked to do a mix CD, you know, that was kind of like something other DJs got to do. Right. So that was very cool. Um, remember like kind of early on, the kind of doing like a big sonar festival thing or uh Detroit before it was movement, you know, EMF uh being part of those things. It's like things that are like really kind of groundbreaking and important events for a community and for a city that end up kind of resonating globally. Um the mutech festival stuff has always been probably my favorite, the way they curate things and the way they present things it's very 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 dialed into the actual artists and creative process and trying things that are like out of the box um yes i couldn't really pinpoint it i probably have an answer for you in like four days be like oh i know you know but you named a
1: couple but with that said i just wanted to know that at those exciting moments when you knew you was going you were going there did you feel like you exceeded your expectation? Was there just a, like, a, uh, I got you moment,
0: I did it, or it just just, just made you feel good inside? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I would have those moments just of, like, super confidence, or just, like, having those moments where you know, like, you kind of feel in your head, like, okay, watch this, everybody, you know, and then, like, um, for me, it's a lot about, like, the physicality of music. Like, that was one thing about hanging out and still talking a lot with different drum and bass producers, because... Especially before now you've got tutorials everywhere, you know, but back then and I feel like nobody's doing the tutorials about the stuff, how the stuff was made more back then. Um, but uh, it's very specific and you had to do it a certain way. Otherwise, like nobody's going to play your tunes, nobody's going to sign them. And I feel like in like, you know, house techno European versions of that whatever. You could, you, you could be lo-fi, you could record stuff on cassette or you could be like super crazy polished, you know, with a super loud 12 inch or 45, but, but they'll all get played. But I feel like with bass music, it wasn't that case. So I felt like I picked up some things of how I could like move and push air on a big PA in a certain way where it was like kind of like it was just very dramatic. So I would kind of like I still kind of play with that a bit, um, which is kind of hard to do with with the low frequencies but i would um yeah i think like early 2000s when when i was just like really excited about kind of showing what i could do um yeah i would have those moments where uh, i remember this one spot in uh in uh outside of frankfurt uh, um robert johnson little little nice room with a big sound system and i knew there'd be moments where i could like shake all the bottles off the counters and they'd all break on the floor you know and it was like It's like here comes you know and and, uh, yeah just having those little moments because that's one thing that's very different to enjoying music at home I suppose even if if you have a big system but like just to be with other people and then to to make people feel something on a physical level like that that's like a whole different dimension Um, that's like a whole other learning process until you start to like learn systems and like what works and how to engineer your own tunes and stuff Um, so yeah Um, I think I got, I think I got both of a couple of booking agents at that spot, like doing a set and just feeling like, okay, like I'm going to tear this shit up. And then afterwards be like, yo, we really want to work with you. And it was like, cool. Yeah. So, but I think it was more smaller events rather than big ones. I feel like big events are so. No, you're just kind of hoping everything goes okay through them. And, you know, the audience is kind of like far away from you. And it's hard to really like kind of connect or have an idea of what's going on. So I feel like, yeah, the smaller events are where people are like right there and you can like feel their excitement. And this is a uh, this podcast
1: uh, series or is about artist creativity. It's not about what the other people think. It's just how you go about handling the job. And it's in this diversity and how you step up to the plate. I remember every gig was like my first. Um, every I put energy in every single, the smallest. I don't care how big it was, how small it was. Every time I would spend as much time making sure that I was ready for the level that I wanted to perform at. Do you ever feel like you have to do that all the time?
0: Yeah, I think that's important, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, every every gig I'm trying to make a new crate of tunes or if it's a live thing you know kind of change stuff up uh changing what didn't work the last time updating and stuff um so yeah again i I really feel like people don't remember forever so every every time i get opportunity i gotta like give them the reason to look me up or buy one of my singles or come come see me the next time or tell a friend like yo i saw this dude it was really cool um so yeah to your point ab- absolutely like i never felt like okay cool i got this i'm just gonna like you know ride this wave because yeah i don't uh, i don't expect people to to keep up with me like that so yeah it's important do your do your best you know practice your instrument do your best if you stepping up to the plate to a a a, a world-class
1: wrecking yeah crew, there's so speak- of, yeah
0: there's a lot of people that want your job they're they're you know young talent really excited they'll play for free they just want to have fun and yeah so you gotta gotta come at it strong so yeah it's definitely definitely something i think about could you
1: describe your that that john tejada sound oh man can you describe that as a as a musician as a performer as a you know
0: a music enthusiast what is that Man, that's a tough one. I feel like that's for for everyone else to say.
1: I mean No, say, I mean, that's for you because <laughs> I think that when you're going through these machines and you're picking records and you you're feeling a certain vibe, there's certain distinctions of um experiences that you had in life. And some of these, some of it's not just always about the music, it's about where you're from where you came from and that expression that freedom of expression it has nothing to do with somebody else deciding what your, their expression is for you so my thing that's, so that's why I'm having this conversation with you from the artist's point of view whether or not they like it that's uh, that's open for discussion too but that's uh, uh, because it's honest you
0: know yeah yeah for me it's like kind of harnessing the, the power of these heroes I mentioned in the early 80s and bring in my kind of like uh kind of lifelong exposure to practicing melodies and rhythms. so i feel like um i feel like there's this kind of tinge of hopeful hopefulness to to a lot of the the stuff i do and um i like to be a little bit of a a little surprise like you know maybe the the bass isn't coming in on the on the root at first or um i heard somebody talk about this recently like the element of surprise in music, and that's very much at the forefront of my mind now, like something early on has to kind of make you feel like, oh, I didn't, I didn't expect that, you know, and I think that's what makes for interesting music. So um, hopeful melodic power with an element of surprise is, uh, is what I would describe, describe the sound on a good day you know
1: <laughs> on a good day you're uh you're into modular systems now huh
0: i i went through it um i had a couple of friends uh one guy two guys i worked with just still work with uh but justin maxwell and josh humphrey and uh they both you know you can make a sound with your with your mouth or even describe it and they'd be like oh okay i got it and like plug in 50 wires and then it's like so i never got to that level but it was really interesting to work with them and uh to learn that stuff because i really came from really simple synthesizers right i never even thought of like those components being able to be reordered or modified and all that you know and it's just that's essentially what you're dealing with you're taking each component from a pre-patch synth and it's like okay imagine you had inputs and outputs for all of this and you can change it up this way and change it up that way you know so um that was a whole super interesting thing early 2000s and uh I think i just like everybody probably who gets into it i got a bit caught up with yeah just want to be really really good at it but i also realized that i'm not that interested in sort of creating playing self-generating patches i'm more into like using a big palette of sound sources and, and filtering and and uh sound shaping saturation type devices to kind of get the timbres i want i don't exactly need it to to go full on uh you know what you would think of like modular so that that's kind of my happy place with it now it's like i can think of like oh i want this i want this kind of sound and i'll know how to dial it in but if you know i I like i can't make it talk or or do you know but those those two guys they can do all that stuff so so it was great to learn and then the great thing about learning about is i'll go back to like these synthesizers which i just kind of knew how they worked and it's like oh okay like i understand this completely now i see i see how that works so and then even finding features on those simple ones, I was like, I didn't know I could do that, you know? So it's a great it's a great learning experience. And I got some stuff, but um, it's just, it's in the toolbox, it's one of the tools.
1: Do you think you have to be careful with this, uh, with this uh, world of modular? Some people I've known that fought a couple, then they now they end up with
0: a room full of them. Yeah, I can definitely go that direction, but, I think I'm I'm pretty mellow with it now I, I have just a small system with that stuff and I'll use the ones that are I'll swap them out basically so I'm not trying to have like a huge setup with it which you know helps me with the decision making for sure would you consider yourself
1: a systematic producer or do you uh, find yourself just jamming and with happy accidents or improvisation
0: yeah more of a feel. More of a feel for sure. I think, like, that's one interesting aspect of it, especially like being a teacher. There's when it really comes down to it that feel, like, I don't think I'm able to like describe it. Like, when things fit in a way that like I know they're working, I couldn't exactly tell you, you know, I probably, yeah, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe something I never tapped into, some kind of extra sensation that you know sometimes your people have a kind of synesthesia or something like that it's nothing like that but it's definitely like it has a lot to do with with feel and also physicality the way like you know if i have to right monitoring the way the way frequencies are hitting it's really easy to kind of mess it up especially for the kind of stuff i'm trying to do so it's it's very much feel and and kind of kind of mood what's your favorite dog? you know he's he's five at the moment five um, yeah um well not at the same time sometimes two at the same time but um wow okay so you have learning. more you have more Daws than modulars <laughs> probably yeah and i had used some other ones as well too that i've tried that i that i don't keep up with but um i just find them super interesting like i feel like i've never i was never good at learning languages but i'm good at learning DAWs, you know it's kind of like um kind of different ways to communi- communicate the same thing but they all kind of have their workflow and also um, I would say all of them except for one there's sort of like key key figures at the company so I think when uh, one of them introduces new features for testing I'll get really interested because you know I'm music tech nerd so uh, I'll be interested to try that stuff out to see if it's gonna like really benefit my workflow so um, yeah tops top, top favorite of the list is um um yeah logic pro um quite into bitwig these days what they're doing is great ableton of course and especially for for some of the live stuff because that's its strong point um reaper which is sort of like ultra crazy customizable pro tools which um i made the whole year of the living dead album on but i feel like it's like if i don't keep up with it i'll forget all these custom actions i've made and it it gets a little overwhelming so sometimes i just want to get real simple with it and then uh the last one being renoise which is a tracker based on the kind of more amiga style earlier late 80s middle 80s um yeah sample tracking which is um was a really direct efficient way to do some really crazy stuff very quickly yeah between all those fives uh it just depends like what i want to do and what what basically like what makes me feel like making music that day it can be the same with like the hardware stuff like which synth do I wanna is this one I'm like feeling today you know so it's like which DAW, which synth you know so is there is there a go-to synth Um, I mean it changes all the time I would say out of all the stuff I've been lucky enough to collect um, one I've had for a while which is the shoyman s1 which is kind of like a semi modular thing that I picked up when I was new yeah they're asking for crazy prices now but um that's kind of like desert island mono which can replace a lot of the modular stuff because you've got kind of ins and outs for everything and then another one being the profit five but i've got the sort of revision the desktop model just to kind of save on space and then again referencing so much of the 80s music i referenced it's so much profit five and that stuff so you just kind of accidentally i'll tap into a zone and it's and i'll i'll be aware like i've that reminds me of like three things and i can't think of them you know but i might like be driving around the car listening to like serious 80s or something and then it's like oh that's that's the sound that's the song you know um so those are those have been my two favorites for a, a good minute now just stuff that i mean i can i can do about 90 percent on those two uh, and then be fine with all the you know digital options in the box to, to feel happy about making stuff. Favorite drum machine? I mean, I don't have them all. There's some I definitely want. Like you know, the the LM1 and the DMX are are pretty darn cool. And I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna borrow the DMX. Um, I was able to get a lot of the Roland stuff back in the day for basically for nothing or for super cheap. So there's a reason I think these boxes keep getting recreated. Uh, I think the only person kind of doing it right is the Dinsync guy who. Kind of does it one-for-one because I think a lot has to do with the interface as soon as you start adding menus and options and effects it's like that doesn't that doesn't work for me so well some might appreciate the extra control but for me it's like it's like a piano it's like a emulation of a piano like it's like if somebody made a piano and then it's like you know it has a bunch of effects on it and now there's six pedals instead of three and you're like whoa like <laughs> just give me the piano so um I recently, yeah, that, every, everybody would be sad to hear this, but I had like the 808 and 909 just sitting against the wall for like a few years. So I, I was like, I gotta, I gotta hook these up again. Cause I mean, I basically got those for next to nothing back in the day. So, but there is, you know, there's so much of the new tech emulates that sound. And if you, if you get it sounding nice, it still, it sounds really nice. And, you know, you can change it up with some effects and they're just, they're like, you know they're like uh it's like a ludwig drum set or a a famous les paul original or you know it's just like an important instrument that was a huge part of part of music so it's really fun to be able to have those and play with them and jam around so i mean those out of all that list of of vintage craziness i mean those are the two that i still have so I guess those would be my favorite. Let's talk about your teaching role at Cal Arts. Um, what
1: does Cal Arts mean to you? What's what what's happening in the in the field of teaching for you?
0: Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I, I got looped into it um, by by a former student who invited me to do something called Tech Forum. I went as a guest, which was very cool to, to me because I actually was accepted there. I think I don't know if I applied in '93 or '94. I think, like, Morton Subotnick was still there, like, it was kind of, the electronic music stuff was kind of in its infancy there, but, um, I, I got accepted, but didn't have the money to go, so I always kind of had this, like, connection to, like, this kind of what-if, right, so then meeting this, um, meeting the student and then getting asked to come, come up, I, um, I was immediately taken out by, um, Two of my closest friends now, but um, Owen Vallis and Jordan Hochenbaum, who uh, I kind of make music with both of them. Me and Jordan do a um, a project called Machine Lab, which is actually named after our classroom. So we got a little bit of music out you can find on, on streamers. But um, so we just uh, we had this great kind of friendship where we would like this was way before I thought I would be even eligible to teach so we would like hang out and I would like be showing them stuff which was wild to me because they're both PhDs right so I'm like showing them like all this stuff and getting excited and they're like excited like oh that's really cool then I would kind of like hit this wall of like well it'd be great if it did this and then you know like Owen would be like oh well let's build it you know and it was just like whoa like I never had friends like this before so he'd like start opening up some you know reactor stuff and building custom stuff or, or whatever it might be so anyway back to your question um. So I, I would get asked to do a uh, little visiting talks and what we call tech forum. And then, um, I even got asked to like sub one of Jordan's classes, but I think them being good friends, possibly like nobody ever reached out to see like if I wanted to teach a class cause everybody feels like I'm busy enough doing my stuff. Right. So, um, I was another, another, um, another friend teacher who, who uh, taught their Spencer, yeah, he was just like, "Do you do you want to teach a class?" And I was like, "I don't think I can. You know, I don't have like enough credentials like you guys." He's like, "No, you you're good." So I was like, "All right, well, hook me up." So anyway, long story short, um, I knew that would be a challenge. And actually, I um I got to know um Bob Power a little bit, who's you know important figure in in uh in audio. He mixed like the Tribe Called Quest stuff and D'Angelo. He's just very known for a certain sound that that is very revered and he's at nyu and i got to ask him i was like man i got this um i got this offer i don't know though you know i don't know if i could do it and he was like yeah just do it man you know it's like okay bob power says do it i gotta go do it so um so I, i knew it would take me like my estimate was about three years to figure out like what i was doing but initially like right straight off the bat i felt like it was fun and it was cool and um but what's what's cool about it is it's just like this supportive bubble where you walk in and everybody's making art, you know? Like there's animators and visual artists and everything in the music spectrum from performer, composer to like blips and bleeps, uh, you know? And it's just cool to be in this like supportive environment where there's like all these people just working on art. It's really cool to be able to go in there yeah, show them stuff, have them show me stuff, we all kind of share, we, we work together. We make compilation albums for a UK label called Touched Music. So every spring I do this compilation called Future Stars and we've just done the third volume of that. So yeah, it's cool to be able to like almost 30 years later be asked to uh, be part of a place that like I felt the connection to when I was young that I wanted to be a part of and didn't get to be. right. So it's it's a really interesting, like, full circle uh, series of events. And so you're you're teaching exactly what? I'm in the music tech department, which is one of the music departments under the Herb Alpert School of Music that we have there. So there's, there's a few different ones. And some of my classes are open to the music school. So I, I get a lot of students from, like, all different departments. But I'm in music tech. And in the fall, I teach uh, history of electronic dance music. And the spring, there's uh, my main course, which is called... Uh, advanced electronic music production, and then there's mm-hmm. another class called Grids, Beats, and Groups, which is more based on live performance. Mm-hmm. And how many students uh, per class? There are some that I cap, that I want to cap the number, but the one in the fall can be um, be between forty and fifty, so that could be wow. Yeah, pretty decent number. And then the the main spring one, I like to cap at about eighteen if I can. Uh, I'd like to lower that number, but you know, if, if there's demand, then obviously I. I don't want to mess that up, but um, yeah. And then the live performance one generally has a f- fewer. So I think I had 12 in that last spring. Is there an online course uh,
1: that you have online or something?
0: Not from CalArts. You got to you got to get accepted there. But um, I did do a kind of a version of my spring class on a platform called Cadenze spelled with a K. And that has I believe the, the class is the same title and that has a uh, virtual version where you can see um studio filmed lessons and content and assignments and have a forum with other students and um i think it's like a six-part series that you can join for like really affordable so
1: Arts, that's a big deal for you that was a big stepping stone in your career right i mean it keeps you learning keeps you polished keep you thinking about
0: uh the theory and and apply it to action as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great because everybody there is doing amazing stuff and a lot of the faculty are still doing like really cool stuff. And I've collaborated with faculty now on releases. Last year, um, did an EP called Silver Sonic with my friend there, Ulrich Krieger, who's a quite a known uh, sax and experimental instrument player. So yeah, there's people to collaborate with there that are really inspiring. Got to make sure we tag all these people. Listen, do me a favor and tell me
1: more about your life project, which is it Wachita? <laughs> oh,
0: Wahada. Wahada,
1: so it's like, okay. Wahada. It's like-
0: Yes, yeah, so myself and Reggie Watts, so it's, it's our last names kind of mangled into one.
1: How did you how did you find him?
0: We have a lot of mutual friends. Eventually, he just came to one of my gigs and he was there pretty early. And he actually thought I still live in Austria from, you know, probably just reading a one sheet of like, that's where I come from. So I, um, we have so many mutual friends, like one friend, I think used to live with him. And and another once in a while, uh, another friend, Christine, would be like, Reggie wants your number. Can I give it to him? I was like, yeah, sure. But then I would never hear from him. Um, So I knew it was just a matter of time before we linked up. So I just went up and said, hey, you know, what's going on? And then we started hanging out and we didn't make music right away. Because I feel like the worst thing you can come at somebody with your kind of first hangs is like, hey, man, do you want to jam? It's like. Yeah, I'm good, man. You know, so I knew he, you know, I knew he had a lot going on. But eventually, we just kind of like felt a bit sad, not trying to make some music. And then we started doing that. And then um, we did that for a while before we even thought of playing it to anybody. Like I just, sometimes I do that. I've got, just for the joy of making it, like not even thinking, like, oh yeah, I should put this out. Um, but yeah, eventually it had to happen, and then um. Then we got that ball rolling and put out a single and an album on one label. And then for the second one, we linked it with Brain Feeder and have an album and an EP on that. And um, yeah, we play shows when one album on what? OK, album on Brain Feeder. And what else? Uh, the first album was on a on a kind of different label called Comedy Dynamics. They kind of do all the stand up specials you see on Netflix or a majority of them. And that was a they kind of worked out that well. Netflix. That worked about as as well as I thought it would. But we had one track running, which which really kind of resonated. But that I believe was very strongly due to the fact that KCRW was just like hammering, you know, a- running that. Yeah, no, yeah, running. No pun intended. Um, and that's that's great to have their support. What was the name of the song? Running. Yeah. So we're still we're still doing it. I think we're linking up this week. We we're always got because there's, the, there's a remix. There's a side thing there's new Wahada stuff and then the shows are really really fun i have i've i have the best time with our shows oh, so those those are really great cuz it's like you know i'm not much of a festival cheerleader type djs you know i just like kind of like to keep my head down do my thing which isn't that exciting to look at but you know when we do our shows i can do that and i'm usually smiling happy cuz like reggie's just like working the room and like making people feel good and having people sing and like making people laugh and stuff even though it's not a comedy project it just it just that vibe comes out it's just a feel good vibe and and bringing that physicality again of that you know big system stuff and moving some air letting people feel it and uh yes yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and uh, where where can they find WAHATA? Yeah, you can find it uh, on all the streamers. Most of it, all of it, except for our new EP is on vinyl as well. I think the last EP we just kind of you know sometimes there's so many delays these days, and we just kind of wanted to not wait like a year. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll still have physical physical stuff. So, but yeah, the um, for the moment, uh, for since since the first album, we're we're working with with Brain Feeder. So, part of that crew, LA based. Yeah. And you're
1: both satisfied on this development and you see it be becoming an ongoing thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, we um, we've been doing it. I'm trying to think. Well, I think we're coming up on six years that we first started trying to put some music together. There's a lot of short lived projects, I think, that we both kind of get involved with Reggie for sure. So I think the fact that we made it this long, um, we, we really don't feel like we've really started yet i think that's how i feel with my solo stuff too i think that's what kind of keeps things going like reggie has this thing where he's like you know it's just gonna be like our sixth album where people realize like whoa they have five other albums <laughs> so it might be one of those so we're, we're totally fine with that like that's the world we live in right now this consumption
1: and and as long as you are as long as you're creating and they're and you're building that catalog and you can do it continue
0: yeah and i think for us we um we, we really really enjoy working with each other so there's a lot of ideas even if for some reason bohada took a hiatus like we'd still be we'd still be working on on different projects and some ideas that we have for the for the future so so yeah we just we just really like being creative together for him it's all about like being able to quickly get stuff down without things breaking and and no like delays just like being really efficient with it and in some ways i'm the same i think there's a lot of posts that happens once we're not together, you know, so it's not that easy. But, um, but yeah, it's just that efficiency of like, hey, I got the stuff set up for us. I think this will be fun. And it's like, oh, cool. It's all about like, like, I think today is going to be fun. And it's like, oh, great. Yeah, let's try some stuff, you know. And there's just plenty that like doesn't work out, but we're not too precious about it. Just like just work on the stuff that like that's has promise and see what happens so the
1: so the chemistry and the camaraderie is uh to your satisfaction you both uh appreciate the results
0: oh absolutely yeah i mean he's like my big brother now so yeah we just have a great time hanging in um running a label producing doing live
1: shows and releasing on countless labels outputs on i don't know beginning in 1994 uh never lets up um including five albums you got what uh music on record labels like compact and poker flat and cocoon even uh seventh city one of my favorite old and even defected yeah and
0: then comes palette
1: recordings
0: Is that your baby? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Started Palette in the fall of 96. And I actually had um, a little short-lived kind of other labels that I didn't feel like I had total control with, depending on the distribution. But, yeah, I started Palette just because I was starting to do some releases. and Once in a while, a label, you know, kind of to your earlier point of, like, aliases. Like, I didn't want to use an alias. And sometimes I just felt really strong about the running order, or what tracks should be on there. So it actually wasn't my first attempt at a little label thing. But um, yeah, just uh, I again, I, I learned from meeting people how to how to do this where to press them, distributors how to how to do everything. But I really didn't think it would get past two or three releases. Right. So now. Um, yeah, now what are we getting into uh, 26th year? um so it's pretty cool um i mean you're competing against playhouse uh
1: well, i mean you know they're gone i'm still standing man and i have almost all of your relabel stuff you've done stuff with for tele- telepop music um the field bomb the bass way out i mean all this experience that you have on all those different labels i'm sure there's a reason why your label is still running you put a lot of passion and and it's and it's it, it it shows uh everyone that i talk to really loves the label and would you consider most of the stuff is minimal and stri- stripped down stuff right most of it
0: i i don't yeah i mean some some people describe it that way i don't really see it that way but that's that's fine with me i mean it's not like a that
1: could no, be no, wrong, no, I, I, no
0: no i i i love everyone's interpretation of it i mean i think yeah like i don't really have a grasp on it that way, you know, I guess I have a grasp on, on other artists that I've released, um, which I don't, which I'd like to get back into for a while. I kind of put the brakes on that, um, but I feel like that's something that's a little easier to do. The, the vinyl manufacturing is a, is a struggle right now, but I think everything comes goes in waves, right? So it'll, there'll be solutions again. But um, I mean, it's it's fairly vast catalog and the the sound changes. It's not sort of minimal on that kind of Perlon pearl on tip, you know, which is kind of a, but i mean yeah i think i don't know i think I mean, it just might be like coming from the era where every piece kind of hopefully has its purpose and there's not too much stuff um i mean like in a way the last album that it released earlier in the year sleepwalker could definitely be described as minimal but it's probably the most amount of sounds i've ever put in a single you know single songs but still if everything kind of lines up and has its purpose so yeah i mean uh what I find interesting about it is like, even with other producers who I admire, um, I feel like the, the minimal stuff, you know, quote unquote minimal stuff, it it, it, uh, it stands the test of time because I feel like when things get a bit too polished, it really kind of shows, uh, It really kind of identifies the year of like, what was kind of trendy tech wise. So sure. even like my own productions, like there's a lot of stuff I have on dat tapes, like I never put out, you know, just stuff when I was learning. And I remember like, or even some of the some of the earlier releases and the stuff where I thought it was like being really, really great and clever and this was like really, really awesome. When I hear those now, like they don't really hold up. But the stuff where I was just kind of like going by feel and it's just like pretty stripped down. Those are the ones that like still feel pretty relevant. And there's a lot that haven't been put out. So I find it's just because of that. Like it's, it's just kind of honest. It's doing its thing. It's not trying to be, it's not trying to tap into any subgenre of the day. You know, like I feel like a lot of the productions of today, it'll be really easy to pinpoint them 20 years down the down the line based on the production techniques. You know, like everything is like Serum Revital. There's like OTTs on everything. It just has this like fake, fizzy, super flattened, loud, you know, huge and wide. But you play some of these older releases that were made on a couple pieces of gear and just a crappy mixer um, and like they'll still really punch because they just they're pure, you know, like the I'm a strong believer in things being in the right place, is the most powerful kind of production technique. And you know what? That's what
1: I get from this label, and that's why I like it a lot. Because <laughs> I can almost take all of them and mix only your only that's stu- the only your stuff from that label, and grab pieces three minutes or two minutes from each and make a story out of it. Oh, nice! Obviously, you have the master of the groove, and you're a drummer. You play piano, so obviously the all the substances are there for making a dance track or making music function. And I love what you're doing. And uh, when you're releasing on labels like Plug Research and Seventh City and all that Defected, then, you know, if you can't find nothing in, in your label, then you're, I guess you're somewhere off the planet someplace. So con- <laughs> congratulations on the success of the label. And I'm glad that you, uh, have not pulled the brakes and pulled the plug on any of it. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And it's such an honor to have you uh, on my Decisive Creative Artist Program. And uh, this episode means a lot to me. I was really shocked that you replied to my Instagram uh, message, uh, getting trying to get the request for you to be here. So I'm really happy that you took the time to be with me. And uh, I have one more question for you, though. And that has something to do with your mix, your DJ mix for... The program today can you tell me what you were feeling what you compiled uh, what was the vibe is there a journey uh what you had in mind
0: for the mix yeah i've been meaning to do this for a little while um i'll sometimes like i'll go through the the record collection and i'll kind of yeah i'll kind of totally forget about something or something that at the time didn't seem important and now as it sort of sat in the crate and aged is is really important to me now so um i wanted to do a kind of a retrospective with some newer bits as well but kind of stuff focusing on my productions and kind of like the way i see them fitting together which is kind of to your point a lot of stuff you were talking about because there are some different aliases in there one thing is uh one thing that i thought would kind of resonate well a thing that they were silent Servant called the monitors which i don't think anybody knows about so that's in there i've known him about as long as i've known you like back to about 94 when he we're kind of putting out our first releases together and yeah a little little bit of the mr hazeltine stuff and collaborations and releases i did on mosaic and Ferox, which are still kind of highly revered labels of uh things maybe my uh people that listen to my stuff don't don't realize i did and uh one of my favorite remixes this track called geometry that um i really like this remix i don't think it's very very known but i put that in the mix so yeah just kind of these little special semi-forgotten moments but that are important to me and i feel like i think obviously like for anybody that is familiar with what i do it's kind of like a different perception everyone of like what my sound might be like for a specific minute it was really kind of just based around two songs and it was like something i didn't really i never kind of like repeat the same thing right um or at least I, i don't think i do or plan to so for me like this mix is kind of more about like looking back say you know 25 years like this is kind of like where my my heart is at and like how i feel kind of like this kind of sound this kind of groove this kind of groove
1: would you say you made that journey from the past to the future or to
0: current not exactly it does it does mm, no because it jumps it jumps pretty quickly and then goes back and forth so it's it's and that makes it interesting that way because for me it's like I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but these things for 20 years ago are very much in line with something that was more current. And so I think, like, on a good day, I've got, like, how you were asking earlier, on a good day, I've got that vibe that I'm looking for. So it still is, like, a identifying quality throughout. And then, obviously, like, other releases may not nail that point in the way I want. And those now, I might be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's a little busy or that's not that interesting but these kind of have this through line to you know because we're talking stuff that came out like in 98 and stuff that came out like maybe a year ago and there's this connecting factor in it for me so yeah i'll be curious curious what people think check it out you know there's there's definitely some sounds in there that if, if you maybe heard one or two of my pieces over time there might be a lot a lot of little surprises in there and again some of the the remixes and the collaborations there's another thing i did with um um jay hearn who kind of is more of a more of an more of an anonymous figure in, in dance music but um we did this project as tb tejada which was uh a thing we did like uh live takes like um and that was really really fun to work with it was like a a limited thing with a t-shirt and stuff but that's on there and i hadn't heard that in a minute either so it was kind of fun to, to i think with with jay and also with juan sound servant i i took little videos and sent it to him like these tracks are still good man i still really like these you know and they have that they have that uh that connecting vibe to them that connecting soul where it's like yeah that one's right you know that that one works like couldn't exactly tell you why but as a as a whole you can hear throughout the hour of uh of, uh, yeah maybe maybe in the end it, it makes sense
1: well obviously have big respect for you and and your longevity and your endurance and i would love to have you back uh taking us to the next level of music of where you headed yeah, uh, now That's that you've true. accomplished this mix i think it's interesting to see how long-lasting musicians move forward with time and if, if they're if they have developed another change um, you've doing you're doing so many different things that it seems like these things would develop into something you know that you have just left behind so i'm look i would love to have you back again with uh mr reggie (laughs) to see you guys in the same room together we can have lots of fun yeah for sure thank you so much again for being here with me on the decisive podcast uh artist series here and uh have
0: a great 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 weekend Thanks, Roberto. Thanks, man. It's good to to catch up with you, and thanks for having me on.
1: Awesome.